A reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and he's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. John, in his gospel, offers life. That's what he says is a chief purpose in his writing this account of Jesus. He wants us to see things that he believes God is inviting us to look at so that by seeing uh, and understanding, we would have life. Now that may be, uh, it may seem a little bit odd. Don't we already have life? How do we define life? How do we understand life? Well, most of us think of it largely in biological categories. We are here today. We are all alive. Our hearts are beating, our lungs are taking in oxygen, our neurons are firing. We are living beings. So what is John offering us? He's offering us eternal life, 
But when we only think of, of us as uh, biological beings, uh, where the big problem is one day we won't breathe, our hearts don't keep going, the body, like any other, quote, machine, uh, breaks down. And so the offer of eternal life is very valuable if your main concern is that one day our bodies won't keep working. To think that there's a promise of uh, resurrection is quite valuable. So when Jesus talks about eternal life, we hear eternal in a temporal sense of, oh, we get more time, we get more days. Uh, but the Bible doesn't view humanity um, quite as in a focused or narrow way. Um, so in, in verse 10 of the passage we're looking at, Jesus says, I came that they may have life. So that's theme comes up a lot in John. But he says, and that they would have it abundantly. There's a fullness that we're lacking. There's a richness. So it's not simply that we would get more time to exist. Uh, but there's a certain emptiness that's part of the human experience that Jesus comes and says, I've come to make things new uh, so that uh, you would actually start to live in ways that, that are woven into how you've been designed. We all have instincts to do things that are valuable, to learn and to grow, to enjoy things, and those desires are good. Um, but those desires sometimes lead us astray. We go after the wrong things, but, but even when we try our best to do what's right, those desires are not e easily satisfied. There's not an abundance or a fullness of life. Uh, most of us are either have a memory of a great moment and we're hoping to recapture it, or we have some hope of some future accomplishment or achievement that will satisfy us. Uh, but there's something to the human experience where those longings that should stir us to to full rich lives also can paralyze us or discourage us or leave us hopeless because the, uh, the weight of how often are we enjoying ourselves and thriving and how often are we struggling? How often are we feeling like we're failing? Uh, the balance is not where we want it to be. Jesus comes and he says, I'm offering life and life abundantly. There's a fullness that should be appealing to people who are feeling like their lives have a certain measure of emptiness. So the question is, what matters in life in order to, to have that kind of abundance, not just to exist, not just to go through the motions, but to actually find that we start to thrive, that, that the signs of life, of joy and growth and satisfaction and productivity and all of these things characterize our lives in a growing way. And the answer, certainly in the Bible, is, is with a, with a who, not a what, not what you do and here's how you do it, but, but who is going to help us with this? And that's part of what Jesus is claiming in John 10. I have come so that they would have life and have it abundantly. There's something about him that's key to how God is going to bring it to us. And so that's what we're going to consider today. So I want to consider uh, as we think of what matters in life, well, what matters is who you listen to, who you follow, and who you know. I'm going to walk us through those three things as we look at the passage. So first, who you listen to. That's important, and we see it's important in this passage where Jesus talks about shepherding. So the idea of knowing and the idea of following, each of the, the points that I have are all kind of saying the same thing, but just highlighting a different component. Here what I'm highlighting is Jesus is talking about uh, sheep knowing his voice. So if he's the shepherd, and people who follow him are like the sheep. Uh, there's this accent in verse three, the sheep hear his voice. 
And it's important because chapter 10 flows out of chapter 9, where Jesus has healed someone, and that's left a division. And you can see the last verses that were printed, that some people are overwhelmingly impressed, and some people are a little bit frustrated and skeptical. Uh, and so Jesus is going on to, to give evidence within their thinking, uh, with what the Bible would say about he has the rightful claim. Um, but something deeper than that, than simply saying that he's the one who enters uh, by the gate, for example, which we're looking at here. Um, there's something there in verse 3 that's even deeper. My sheep know my voice. And it's kind of like if you have somebody call you and say, hey, it's me. And maybe you do that. Hey, it's me. Sort of an interesting thing. Anybody could say that. Whoever calls you is always me. And so you can say, hi, me. I know that it's you. Uh, the question is, who are you? And usually that luxury to call somebody and say, hi, it's me, assumes a certain familiarity. It's a person you call frequently, so maybe your number comes up in their phone. Uh, it's somebody who should recognize your voice. And so saying, hi, it's me, the real signal there is not in the content of what you're saying, but in the fact that you said something so they could recognize your voice. You could say, hey, guess what? I'm wearing ice skates. That would be a weird way to when somebody answers the phone and then the then they would say, well, I know it's you. And now the question is, why are you wearing ice skates? So you could say anything to identify yourself. Uh, hey, it's me. Uh, Jesus is writing to human beings and saying, God has created all of us. And even if you feel disconnected from the creator, even if it's been a long time since you've devoted yourself to sort of uh, religious things, there's something woven into each of us where there's a familiarity that when, when God comes close, there's something we should recognize. And that's what Jesus is saying is, I've, I've been sent by the Father. And now those who know the Father, those who are seeking the Father, should recognize something of his voice. So in verses 2 and 3, entering into this shepherding imagery, he, he talks about those who enter by the door, being the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. And the Bible is really complex. And so rightly so, those in his time period are looking at the Bible and they're saying, wait a second, is he from Galilee? We thought the Savior would come from uh, Bethlehem. And they're trying to figure out all of these things that after Jesus was raised, it seems like then people started to understand uh, the, the passages and how they pointed to him. But here Jesus seems to be saying there is a right way to enter. And I've come according to the way of God. His promises, his predictions, and my arrival is according to that way. And therefore, uh, if there are gatekeepers opening the, the door, uh, there are others who are trying to get in and lead people and lead them astray. Uh, but he's declaring that he actually comes as he should. We should recognize that. But in our trouble to recognize it, one of the things he's alluding to is, well, listen to the voice. Uh, you may not recognize me, but the gatekeeper does. When I read this, uh, the imagery that I thought of, not everybody reading the Bible would, but in Genesis 3, uh, as Adam and Eve are driven out of the Garden of Eden, so they're in this place where Genesis 2 pictures uh, the Garden of Eden is a place filled with potential. The work wasn't completed, but the idea was that humanity's task was to be fruitful, to multiply, to grow, to flourish. And yet, uh, Genesis 3, they're, they're deceived, they turn from God, and, and as they leave, we're told that there are angels there to guard the way back. The tree of life is still in the garden, and it's almost like humanity wants it, but if we could find the Garden of Eden, wherever it is on earth, we still couldn't get in, we still don't have that access. 
Um, so there's this d- division between God and humanity. And Jesus seems to be saying, you know, he was sent by the Father, almost coming into the world. The gatekeepers would need to recognize him so that he could come in and offer the life that we haven't had access to. But now he's inviting us to follow him so that where he goes, we will go. And they won't open the door for us, but they will open the door for him. And so the question is, are we coming in behind him? That seems to be part of what Jesus is saying is, listen to me, because if you recognize my voice, so will the gatekeepers. And so um, as he says this, he also builds in a warning in the invitation to follow him. In verse one, he talks about a thief and a robber who comes in another way. Uh, there are those who actually want to gather followers to themselves. There are those who will promise that they could give you an abundance of life. But in verse 10, Jesus says, the thief and the robber comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The picture here is one of the reasons he's saying it's important to listen to me and follow me is because lots of people want you to listen to them and follow them. And not all of them are good. So Jesus is not talking about every person who ever existed, anybody with a good idea, anybody who provides leadership. But he is highlighting that we live in a world where there are some who are predatorial. And Jesus is warning us to say, if you recognize my voice and follow me, it's not simply in the shepherding imagery that I will feed you and I will bring you to rest, but I will also protect you. And one of the things he does as a teacher is not just give us the rules so that we could impress God, but he's trying to to set us on a path where our lives uh, are discerned and lived differently. And so examples of of the kind of the the voices or or the forces at work that strike at desires we have. We all have desires. We all have things uh, that we want where there's a certain dissatisfaction woven into us. Some will come along trying to grasp that and and oversell their ability to give you life. And um, in some cases, it's because they want to steal. They want to kill. They want to destroy. They want something from you. And so they're going to offer you something that they can't give you in order to take from you what they want. So uh, classic examples of this consumerism, the advertising agencies, and again, advertising is a good thing. It's important to market and to sell things, but there's some investment that many have to stir in us a dissatisfaction that's not there. And it, it could appeal to our envy. Here are people that, if we set them before you, are going to make you feel in this advertisement like you're not good enough. (laughs) And now that you're not feeling good enough, we have a message for you. There's an abundance that we can give you. And it works. It works that sometimes we feel like I just need something to satisfy me. And so we are easily manipulated by those who would like us to part part with our money because they believe money will give them life, and therefore they're eager to take it from us. Uh, Discussions of sexuality these days, also interesting. When you think about the desires that we have uh, that God has put into us, um, but in nearly all of us, in some ways, there's something dissatisfying there. And part of the, the discussion these days on sexuality is the promise of there's an abundance of life you can have if you buy into our understanding, our beliefs. If you let go in our ways, you will find that all of a sudden you are satisfied. And of course, in the short term, you might, but long term, um, 
are you actually uh, bearing destruction rather than life? We always have to be, watch out for, is there something so desperate in me that I'm, I'm willing to try anything and might easily believe uh, something that's not right? Success in New York City. Success is another thing that's good. We should desire to be productive and to accomplish good things. But there's something here where we create institutions that we could identify with, and then we have the gatekeepers of those institutions. If you follow me, if you come in and do that internship where you work really hard and really long and we don't pay you, but it, <laughs> that's not for us, this is for you, you can follow me because I did that, and I will bring you to the top. And look, I'm not, uh, those of you who are, who are about to embark on internships, internships this summer, do it. The system is good, but be careful uh, to know why you're doing it. Are you doing it because you're following somebody that promises you can be like me with all of my success? Look at my car, look at when I uh, take you and the other interns out for this expensive dinner to think of where you'll arrive, uh, just to be aware that there's something here that's not simply focused on career and decisions, but, but I'm, I'm being given a vision of abundance that can't fully deliver. Um, uh, last thing I'll mention here, uh, sort of self-help and religion. I think this gets closer to us, the self-help maybe, uh, maybe there's some overlap, but, um, but religious people want to oversell, uh, want to promise things that can't be delivered on. Keep in mind, Jesus here, when he's talking about those who, the thieves who come to steal, um, he's talking largely to religious leaders. So it's not that we who believe in God are safe and then the world is a bunch of corrupt people. Jesus is saying wolves are everywhere, predators are everywhere. And be careful to anyone that says, follow me, keep my commands, do my ways and you will be like me. Jesus is saying, you should recognize the voice of your creator. I'm not saying, I'm saying that, but I'm saying it in a way that's different. And so it's important in a church gathering to be mindful that, that, um, we still need to be discerning as we open our Bibles and talk together and decide what books we read and what churches we go to. Uh, there's something in each of us that makes us vulnerable. And Jesus is saying, I recognize that vulnerability and I'm trustworthy. And so discern my voice and follow me, which is where in all of these things, as you think about your career, as you think about sexuality, as you think about where you live and what you own, as you think about uh, life with a community of faith, uh, one of the things that's important for Jesus is, is not simply the content, although that's clearly important. We'll even see it today. But, but for Jesus, there's a sense in which he comes and he says, examine me. <laughs> I've left the scriptures. Study it. Be thinking people. Uh, you know, use your intellect. All of these things are important. But what shouldn't be missed in any of these things is you try to grapple through who do I believe, who do I trust, what kind of life do I live, what do I commit to? is underneath it all, are, are you discerning the call, the invitation of the creator? And Jesus is saying at the end of the day, you could be convinced that all my sayings are highly ethical, but not really follow me and experience life. But he's also saying, you may have a lot of questions and you're not sure that you should be all in on Christianity. You're not, you don't fully understand why Jesus says some things and not others. And what Jesus seems to be saying is, even if, I, even if you don't have all the answers yet, um, are you hearing my invitation, my, my call? Are you discerning somehow, not with an audible voice, but that sense that, that God is drawing near and inviting you to draw near to him? Um, if you are discerning that voice in some way, Jesus is saying, uh, keep coming. 
and follow me, and, and then I will show you all that you need, and then I will lead you. And so I want to move into the second thing on the question of who you follow, uh, but I just want to pause there to say uh, this is something for anyone considering Christianity. Should I commit to Christianity? Well, again, you need to think through it. You need to ask questions, but in it, do you believe God is working in your life? Um, but for those of you who have been Christian a long time and yet find yourself in a period of discouragement because God's voice is not always clear. It could sometimes be mysterious. We keep gathering and we keep praying because what we're aiming for is that, that God would speak into our lives and it doesn't happen every moment. It doesn't happen every week. And sometimes, unfortunately, there are periods where it feels like uh, it doesn't, I don't sense God's presence. Uh, but once God has called you and invited you and you've made that commitment, the idea is to keep looking for him, to keep walking and to keep discerning his voice uh, and trusting that over time he will show that he has been leading you. So here's the second thing. Who do you follow if you want abundant life? As I've already alluded to, lots of people will stand up and say, follow me. Uh, who you follow is important. And so in verses three and four, Jesus says, the sheep hear his voice, the shepherd. He calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. When he has brought out his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And so the imagery here with where he comes and he finds us and he calls us and he invites us, and if we, if we respond, what Jesus says is that starts an adventure. It starts a new life where you are joining with a group, and here the images, the shepherd and sheep, you're joining with a group who are following, and, and the shepherding imagery conveys that the shepherd has a number of goals for the sheep that are not met simultaneously. Sheep need to eat, sheep need to drink, sheep need to rest, and so the shepherds will bring them around. And so, so anywhere that there's a river, there's often a good amount of grass. And so the shepherd would bring them there for the grass. And you think then you just go over to the river because it's right there. But there's something about sheep, as I understand, that they are intimidated by rushing water. So then the shepherd needs to bring them to the grass near the river, but then bring them elsewhere. So Psalm 23, he leads me besides still waters. And so we need the grass, we need the water, we need a place to rest. And there are these multiple needs that as the shepherd leads through, the shepherd needs to watch out as the sheep are looking at, what am I going to eat next? When will I get to lay down? The shepherd is watching out for the wolf, the predator. And so there's a picture here of Jesus calling and gathering us and saying, I will bring you through life, but there are varied experiences. Uh, not all at once, but if you, if you trust me, I will bring you where you need to be brought. And, and that actually gives insight into what Jesus is, is getting at when he says in verse 9, I am the door. So if you're familiar with John, there are these seven I am statements. Two of them are in this passage. I am the door and I am the good shepherd. I'll consider the good shepherd next. Uh, but verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and we'll go in and out and find pasture. So there's an entry imagery here with the door. Uh, do you need to be saved? Do you need uh, your life to be filled? Do you need this protection? Do you need forgiveness? All of the things that the language of salvation in the Bible conveys. Jesus says, when you enter through me, uh, I'm leading you to God. But then there's this imagery of going in and out and finding pasture 
which is to say that those who are committed Christians continue to follow him. And it's life through Christ. He's, he's like the door that any decision, any transition, we're always trying to go through. And it's, it's maybe more obvious with ethical decisions. Here's something that's right that I know I should do. Here's something that's wrong that I shouldn't do, but I want to do. And then the imagery of, well, Jesus is the door. Which way are you going to go? Go the right path. Well, that's obvious. But something like, what job do I take? Or who do I date? Well, there's lots of options. There's not necessarily a moral right and wrong in all of those decisions. Um, but there's a sense in which Christians are trying to gra- draw near to say, would show me if there is a way that's discernible that I would enter through that, that I would go through life continually choosing uh, where you are leading. And so the imagery of the shepherd who is also the door, the reason I think that those are more connected, even though each image uh, conveys its own meaning, I'm connecting them today because we're looking at the whole passage. Um, but, but shepherds, I'm a city person, don't know uh, all that much outside of what I've studied. And, and what I would picture by visiting farms is that you have a pen of sheep and the, you know, they open the gate and then the sheep go out for the day and then they round them up and bring them back. That certainly happens. But in certain regions and certainly different time periods, if you go back to first century uh, Palestine, Israel, um, where there are deserty places, or if you have a very large flock, you don't own enough land to feed the flock on, so you need to take them over seasons on journeys. And that brings with it the risk that, you know, then there are predators and you you could build a pen with a door. Um, But, you know, 2,000 years before Ikea, the shepherd couldn't walk around with a flat package and then gather the sheep and say, tonight, you know, I'm I'm just going to unfold this uh, 500 by 500 pen and then you sleep in that. So what the shepherds would do uh, is along the regions that they would go, they would build pens with with rocks. Uh, That way, year by year, they would still be standing. And it would be a circle, a huge circle built however high they could get with rocks, but they would have a doorway, uh, no hinges out there in the wilderness. Um, and so the shepherd would bring them uh, to the point, you know, hoping that by evening time they could make it the next distance with the flock, gather all of the sheep in the pen, but then there's that open door. What do you do? Well, the shepherd lays down in front of the door. And so if the sheep at night want to go out and wander away and get lost where they can't be found, they need to step over the shepherd. If the wolf, if the predator wants to come in, they will only get by uh, through the shepherd. The shepherd is there to block and to stop them. Uh, So the shepherd functioned in some ways as the door. Uh, Jesus is giving us this image where he's leading us, but he also says, but I will gather you uh, into one place uh, for your protection. And therefore, I am the, I'm the one who um, calls you and invites you in and makes sure you're going through the doorway, but I'm also the, the one who will um, be the door itself. And so in this uh, imagery, um, he's reminding us of that shepherding care that we need, that we need to be led to food and led to be water, and we need to be protected, but we also need rest. And Jesus is going to bring us to places of rest. And and what I thought of as I was thinking about this, which I think could be beneficial for a church gathering to think about, there is the weekly pattern of scripture. You have six days to work, you have one day to rest. And since the resurrection of Jesus, the church has gathered on the first day of the week. So next week when we celebrate Easter, uh, I don't know that there's been a Sunday since where somewhere in the world, Christians did not gather to come together to pray and to read scripture and to encourage one another. So that pattern of work 
and having a spiritual rest of gathering. There, there's something here where, where even in this assembly, within these walls, uh, we have the pattern where the shepherd invites us, come, come into my presence, all of you. And it's kind of like that sheep pen, come and gather on the first day of the week uh, and, and find rest in me. I'm the door. You enter through me and I'm the one that offers you protection. So gather in my presence. I'm the one who will lead you out. I'm the one who will feed. I will provide for you this week. And then uh, just soon after noon, uh, we go back into the world. But the idea of this gathering is we're staying close to Jesus rather than saying, well, I'll go to church every four months, every five months when I feel the need for it or if I have a particular question. There's a sense in which um, if our lives are integrated, where Christianity is not one piece and then there's everything else that's separated, but our lives are integrated where you go out into the world saying, I wanna, I wanna follow, I wanna live differently. I want to uh, know that God's presence is with me and I wanna live in accordance with that it's really hard. This world is discouraging. There's lots of um, moments that will test you. There's lots of times that you won't want to continue on. That pattern of saying, but then return. And if you're part of Emmanuel and you're in this neighborhood, come to this particular place. If you live in the Upper East Side and you're part of Emmanuel and then there's the marathon and you can't get across, go to a church on the East Side. If you happen to be on vacation, gather with God's people if you can, if, if it's possible. But the idea, that weekly pattern to say, I'm going to join together in the presence of God with his people, trusting that over time, even if any one Sunday is not remarkable, um, over time, it's that pattern that's keeping me close to the shepherd. So he gathers me and he will teach and he'll instruct me and he'll speak into my life. So come to church listening for his voice, not just going through the motions, but Lord, is there some way that you're correcting me today? Or are you encouraging me? Or is there something you want to show me? And most of us could look back and say there was, you know, there was a moment in life where I really needed God and he met me or he surprised me. Most of us that have been Christian for a while will say, yeah, most weeks it's kind of just, it's a little bit of rest and then you go back out and that's the pattern. But the shepherd who leads us, um, uh, who calls us to follow him, is also the door. And so um, we have the practice of gathering in his name and then going out and seeking to walk along uh, his path. And so um, it matters who you listen to, it matters who you follow. Here's the third thing, it matters who you know. And one of the things about Jesus is that his teaching is highly personal. So there are commandments and ethics and rules. There are religious practices. There's information. There's things you need to know. The Christian life is robust. But all of this has as an end, not simply as sometimes is practiced, where there's a God who's up there who's unknowable, but we, we do what we need to so that God will reward us, as if we're distant and God is simply somebody who um, has the resources or the things that we want. And so we just find out what does he require of us? How do we live so that he will either not punish us or that he will reward us. Jesus has a different perspective, and that perspective can make the difference of whether or not you're on a religious treadmill or just on some self-improvement plan or trying to buy into any promise in the world that will give you life, and actually finding that you're more than just a biological being, but you are a, a body and soul. Uh, and that's sort of what Jesus is, is um, making sure that we know that God knows us and that through Jesus' call to follow him, that we will come to know God. And I think this is implied in verse 14, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. 
So this is another one of those I am statements. The word good could seem very muted. Wouldn't he say that I'm the excellent, I'm the best, I'm the superior shepherd. That's what the people trying to convince you to follow them usually do. Um, Genesis 1, God said, let there be light, it was good. Uh, there it is, the one who makes things good. He's the shepherd. He's not, uh, he's coming in order that those who are seeking that fullness, that true goodness, um, would be led in it. So Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Um, I am not, it's, it's not, you know, that well, just in the I am, he's a living being. That was Moses's question to God, before, you know, who should I say is sending me to Pharaoh? And he says, tell them Yahweh, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. It's a statement of, of being, but it's vast, it's mysterious. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And in verses three to five, so I'll pick up in, in, um, in uh, 4b, uh, it says, the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Um, so part of it is learning the rules of Christianity. What, what is right, what is wrong, and that is important. But, but we're learning because we're trying to understand who God is, which means you can't be so prepared that you, that you are smart enough to see through anyone who's coming to trick you. Those who are intent on deceiving always have an advantage. One of Je the things Jesus is saying is if you come to know me, then actually as you make decisions, it's not that you'll never be fooled, it's not that you'll make perfect decisions, but, but you'll be walking with me and then the sum of your life will have a different outcome. You will not be led astray and devoured, uh, but you will, you will um, make it through. And so there's this knowing. And in verse 12 to 13, he talks about the hired hand. And here's how he contrasts himself as the good shepherd. He says, the hired hand flees when the wolf comes. And this is a reminder that not everyone in the world is malevolent. And so Jesus is saying, on the one hand, there are predators. There are people who will promise to give you life and they're lying to you. Don't follow them, don't listen to them. But on the other hand, there are people who really want to give you life and they have good intentions. And here, as far as I can tell, Jesus is not throwing them under the bus. He's just saying, but no human being can deliver on this measure of abundance. And so yes, there are uh, virtuous people, there are benevolent organizations, religious, non-religious organizations. We live in a world where there are predators, there, in religious organizations and everywhere else, uh, but there are good, decent people who want you to flourish. But Jesus says, but there's a difference between those who do this out of an ethical sense, out of a bond of humanity, but at the end of the day, on the evil day, when the predator comes, those people who have, have been devoted to your good will ultimately need to protect themselves. And so Jesus is here not insulting the kind, but he's promoting or, or at least making clear his own uniqueness. There's something different about him. Um, when he comes into the world and evil is there, he's like those who love and have a responsibility for the sheep. He will not flee, um, but he will get in between the sheep and the predator. And it's that um, longevity, that staying power that, that makes Jesus unique within the Bible and also has him uniquely uh, filling the story of the Bible. And so I'm just going to highlight four things here that Jesus conveys to us to say that, that it's not simply if you discern my voice or if you like what I have to say, but there's something that comes into your life if you will welcome me as I come to call you um, that will give you life. One thing is that Jesus comes to us because he cares for us. 
In verse 13, he talks about the hired hand who's there doing the job, functions like a shepherd, but cares nothing for the sheep. That's what Jesus says. They're there because they have a responsibility. They want to get paid. doesn't mean they're not ethical, but they don't care for the sheep in the same way that the shepherd does. And what Jesus is communicating is he's come not just to talk about life in general, but he's, he's come because he cares for his people who are not thriving, who are wandering and in darkness and in danger. And he's, he's gathering them because he cares. A second thing is he knows us. In verse 14, I know my own. And in modern farming, where there, you know, you, maybe you put a tag on, on, on the sheep, so you're looking for a number. It seems like in, in first century farming, where you had a large flock, but it was small enough because you didn't have uh, the, the various um, inventions that we have now to, to, to increase the scope of what you could care for. First century shepherds, they, they seem to know their sheep. And so there are stories of shepherds that would, would um, be able to stand at that pen and, and look each sheep and know who was counted for because those sheep belonged to the shepherd. So the shepherd knows those who belong to him. When Jesus comes and he calls us, he calls us by name. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll get to Lazarus, who's in the tomb. He doesn't say, by the power of God, come out. He says, Lazarus. He calls him by name. A dead man is able to hear his name called. Jesus comes to us and he says, I'm calling you personally because I know you. A third thing is he loves us. In verse 17, Jesus says, the Father loves me. And therefore, the love of God is in him. And he says, I have come to invite you to the Father. And therefore, the Father is loving you through me. I come because I know you, because I care about you, because you will experience the love of God that you are not experiencing. And therefore, your life does not have fullness. Love is highly personal. It's not that God loves things about us, it's that God loves us, and so he comes to call and gather us. And then verse four, that really um, highlights what Jesus is getting at here, but shows his care, that he knows us, that he loves us. In verses 15 to 18, what he's saying is, I laid down my life for the sheep. This is the ultimate mark that Jesus is saying is, there have been many who have come before me who sneak in to steal, kill, and destroy. Don't follow them, don't listen to them. There are other shepherds that have come to try to guide you, and maybe they've done a fine job, but at the end of the day, in the evil day, they can't defeat evil. They will just need to run and hope that each person could fend for themselves. But Jesus comes as the one who stands between his people and stands uh, in the face of evil, which is why um, Jesus says the mark of the good shepherd is that he lays down his life for his sheep. What makes Jesus unique in the scriptures, in history, he is the one who goes and faces evil that he didn't deserve um, in order to lay down his life so that the sheep um, get what they don't deserve, grace, uh, 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 getting to know God, forgiveness, pardon, life. And John, who writes this gospel, um, I certainly think, and many people think, is the same John who wrote the book of Revelation. And jo John gives us a, a picture of, of the heavenly realms of people who once they've endured, find, found that following Jesus leads to that rest, leads to that fullness, that glory. And there's a number of images in Revelation, but, but the primary one that's presented to uh, discouraged followers is that there's one in heaven who's like a lamb that was slain. Sort of a weird image, the lamb who was slain. In the other image is he's the rider on the white horse who comes out to conquer. And for a 
for struggling people who need to know they're protected, Jesus is the great king who came. But in John 1, 29, John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, here's the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And what we're told is Jesus is so good that, that it's not simply that he came to call us and to lead us, uh, but the shepherd became one of the sheep. Uh, the shepherd became one of us. Um, God becomes a person in order that you would recognize through his presence the divine call, but also that the only one who has the power over evil would face it on our behalf so that God himself um, bears it in order to free us. He, uh, Jesus comes, the, the living creator, to experience death so that we who are created who one day will die will, on the other side of death, see life. And, and it's not simply that that's a hopeful fact for those of us who fear death to say uh, that we don't need to, to fully give ourselves into that fear, but there's something that's commuted to say, who would do this for you if he didn't know you, if he didn't care for you, if he didn't love you? What other explanation would there be for somebody who would lay down his own life when he didn't need to? Uh, and the explanation we're told is he did this because he cares, he sees us. He sees us in our particularity and he calls us by name and he gathers us to be part of a people who are following him. So in that sense, one of the chief life-giving things is not simply the outcome of the wise ways of God, but the sense that, that God actually knows us and cares for us. And so you're not alone in the universe. You are not without hope. Um, Jesus comes and he calls you to follow him. And it's in that following him of coming to know that God is gracious, he is kind, he is a provider, that we find inner healing and restoration. And it makes a difference uh, in this difference between the impersonal and the personal. When uh, one of my kids was young, we took him to a dentist once um, where there was a particular thing that he needed, but the dentist uh, felt like he was a good business owner and uh, had, we had an, uh, an interview with him and we are now in the dentist's database. So every year at this particular kid's birthday, I get a text message, happy birthday from whatever dental practice. We hope that this is a great year. And it's kind of nice, um, but he was there once. He, he was before this dentist for 40 minutes and I can't imagine gave a good impression at four years old in front of the, the dentist, you know, uh, somebody going in on your teeth. But every year we get a message. And the message is nice. It's a good business practice, but the dentist has no idea who we are doesn't necessarily care for us as people. I'm sure the dentist is a decent human being, um, but it's just smart enough to program that in. And so we get the auto message. And that's how many of us experience the world, that, that, that everything is on some kind of auto function, that if you have the right inputs, you'll get the right outputs. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was at a birthday party, a surprise party for someone whose close friend and sisters who live in various parts of the country came for the party so she was surprised and then as the party went on here are these people that she sees rarely showing up um it wasn't simply that it was her birthday or that she had a party and there were all these nice cakes and all sorts of things like that uh, but i think it was meaningful for her because these people um, show that they loved her because they came to be with her on this uh, significant occasion that's very different from getting a text message from the doctor saying happy birthday again um, the world is communicating, we can give you life. Religious people are saying, do these things and this is how your outcome will come. Everything has some version of self-help or self-goal or self-achievement. Christianity says, God knows you 
And because he cares for you, he has come and he invites you to follow him. And if you trust him, he will lead you to water and to what you need to eat and he will provide you rest and he will protect you. Um, but you will find that as you come to know that you are known, and therefore as you come to know the one who loves you, that will be the thing that sustains you. That will be the thing that helps you when you don't know where to go, when you don't know why, when you're not sure you should go on. It's love for the one who has loved you that ultimately um, makes us alive. We're not just biological beings that have emotions, but we're, we're living beings that can love and can care and can trust you can follow and could go into the world and live differently. And it's that vision that Jesus invites us to. He's the good shepherd. He's the door. He's the way in. There's no other way. He's the, he says, if you want this, I'm bringing God into your life. Follow me and I will bring you to God. Um, so discern his voice, follow him and uh, trust him. Let me pray. Our father, um, even as we gather today, we bring in our own our confusion, our fear, our doubts. Uh, Lord, there's so much to learn. We do pray for that gracious working of your spirit to open our eyes, to speak into our lives so that we would hear something. Certainly for any of us who feel like we're wandering in life, lead us um, to life. But anyone here who's struggling with emptiness or feeling that something has been taken from them, we pray that in your grace that you would be known as the restorer and the redeemer, the one who heals, the one who gives, the one who loves, the one who guides, and the one who patiently leads along so that all of us would have a growing living hope uh, and that that would bear fruit in lives that, that start to take on a, a certain kind of fullness that um, behind the scenes we just don't see really in the city, behind the facade. Lord, we, we desire that real work within and so we appeal to you for it and pray that as our church continues to gather week by week, that you would be the shepherd, that you would be the door that we, we enter in through and go back out into the world, uh, that you are the shepherd that we follow after. Do these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.